Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Come on! Go! Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. All right, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Tap and Go podcast. Today we have someone who I admire both on and off the field, Mr. Billy Meeks. How are you doing, Billy? Very well, thank you, mate. How are you guys going? Yeah, doing all right, thanks. It's, uh, it's sort of that awkward time now, isn't it, between like Christmas and New Year's where you don't know if it's like Merry Christmas or Happy New Year. But <laughs> for sure, yeah. that was all right. <laughs> So we got both both play on. <laughs> so we've got a few things we want to talk about today, and sort of like the first one I thought would be interesting was sort of your time with the Rebels. What was it like sort of playing in like arguably the sporting capital of Australia? Yeah, cool. Um, great place to start. I've uh, got some awesome memories at the Rebels. Um, obviously, spent three seasons there um, with some pretty amazing people, and um, you know, firstly, probably what you touched on is the sporting capital of Australia, without a doubt. Um, you know, got the Australian Open tennis there. We've got the Grand Prix there. Uh, obviously, AFL is the national sport, and um, you know that's where where most of it's played. And then, obviously, we've got the rugby league, um, the football, and then the rugby union as well. So, um, it's an absolute sporting hub. Where we trained as the Rebels, we were sort of alongside the Melbourne Storm, who obviously are a very successful rugby league team. Uh, and then we had Collingwood and Richmond sort of bordering us, along with the football team. So we all trained out of the same area um, with some amazing facilities. And then you sort of just feed off the energy. Um, and then, as I said, I obviously got to play with some pretty incredible players at the Rebels. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a place I'll hold, you know, close to my heart. Yeah, so you touched on, like, the playing with the Storm there. Did you ever sort of train with them? Because I know there were articles of, like, the Reds and Broncos pairing up in preseason. Was that ever a thing at the Rebels? I think they've done it in the past with the Rebels and the Storm. Whilst I was there, we didn't do it. Um, we obviously, like I personally, would spend a bit of time because we use the same pitch um, and we go on and off the pitch sort of alternate times. So I'd always spend like 10 or 15 minutes at the back end of our session watching them train and warm up and stuff. And, um, you know, there's some guys that are generational players that were playing at the time that I was there, like Billy Slater and Cam Smith and you know, those two legends of the game, just to watch the way they operate, um, you know, you can take a lot from that. And even just just a fanboy out and just sit there and watch them do their thing. So 
uh, very fortunate to sort of rub shoulders with those guys every now and then. Yeah, sure. Like Cam Smith, very interested to see what he's going to do next with uh, just winning the uh, the competition. Uh, so, yeah, so you mentioned about playing with like lots of, I think, in my opinion, the Rebels arguably have like the best back line out of all the Super Rugby AU teams. So, got the likes of yourself, but also like Reese Hodge, Matt Tamua, uh, Dana Haley, Petty, Marika. What was it like? So, training, like, training must have been incredibly special. Yeah, training is is really special. Um, it's definitely probably the most talented group of backs I've I've had the pleasure of playing with. Um, you know, when I first got down there, we had Will Ganier and Quady inside me, um, and then you know I had Frank Lamani, the Fiji and nine, uh, Matt Tamura, as you said, Marika, Dane, Hodgie, um, Kells. Like there was just you just name it. We had a pretty much a full Wallaby backline. So um, training was extremely competitive. Um, you know, we we drove a culture that was um, always just pushing each other to get better. And um, whilst we were extremely competitive on the pitch, we had a really good um, friendship off the pitch as well. And we were a really tight group. And, um, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a lot of love for those guys and definitely learned a lot with my time spent with them. Yeah. So you just touched on, so you played um, outside Quade Cooper in 2019 and Matt Timmer in 2020. Was there sort of, did you notice, like, obviously there's a big difference, but did you prefer one style of play? Uh, I don't think I preferred one. I think I think I learned a lot from both. They're both very different players. Um, Quaid is quite a unique player in the sense that um, he sees the game in a way that not many other people do or no one else that I've ever played with does. Um, so it's probably just about adapting and playing to him because he is such a world-class player when he's on. And, um, you know, he taught me a lot of things about playing flatter at the line, putting your skill under pressure um, and just backing your skills. Um Whereas Maddie, Maddie taught me a lot about the tactical side of the game um, and the kicking side of the game. He, he's a really good game manager. He's obviously been around the block, um, played over here for a while, international for a while. Um, so he was a really good in terms of growing my game outside my game that I already had. Um, but both, you know, very fortunate to play outside both. They're both very talented players and, you know, I've played however many times for their country. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty lucky. Yeah, so like Quaid, obviously, he's known for his flair and everything. And just like watching that 2019 season, it looked like you guys like clicked quite well. How did you sort of like sort of align yourself? Was it something that the coaches did or yourselves? Or uh, I think I think it's one of those things, you know, like when you hear someone signed at the club that you're already at and it's someone like Quaid, um, someone who I've met a couple of times at Wallabies camps but not, not really spent much time with, um, you sort of hope that you're going to get along. And, you know, me personally, I was very excited to play with him because I know how good he can be. Um, but he actually approached me during preseason, probably first or second week, because we had a quite a long preseason. And he, he approached me and he said, look, um, it's more than likely that you and I are going to be playing 10 and 12. Um, you know, let's let's take this all the way to the Wallabies. Let's be the best 10 and 12 in the country. And anything you need, let me know. And anything I need, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. And he's, um, you know, he, he pushes the guys really hard. He's... A bit of a dickhead on the field, like in the best way possible. But um, yeah, we, we just clicked off the field more than anything. Spent a lot of time together off the field. Uh, we live quite close to each other. We go out for dinner, go out for a few beers, um, go for coffee, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think I think first and foremost, just getting getting together off the field um, definitely showed on the field. And um, as I said before, like he was, he's just the kind of guy that will sit you down and tell you to back yourself, which as simple as it sounds, coming from someone like that. Um, is very powerful. So yeah, we, we we had a really good really good click, and um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Quady. Yeah, I mean, I just got one memory of like the try where you did the little grubber in the left, and you sort of skipped around and scored in the corner, which is always a good one. Um, yeah, so yeah, special. 
So yeah, with Matt Tamur, like we obviously saw in the Wallabies when he got injured in the first couple of games, it sort of like sort of shifted the back line and like the mentality in defence. And you spoke about how he sort of the game management of him was really sort of on point. I'm sure it was sort of like, what what does he bring to a team in terms of like um, as a player? Yeah, so he's got an extremely calm head. Um, again, he's he's very good at taking control of the team. Um, you know, I feel like in most teams, there's a, there's a good spread of leadership around game calling and game management between maybe a couple of forwards, the locks that are calling the line out, and the nine and ten that we're calling the back stuff. But um, Pup's, Pup's really good at just taking onus on all of it. Um, he takes care of most of the calling for the team. Uh, and then he, he drives a lot of our meetings. He's big on um, player-led meetings. Uh, I think that's something he picked up a lot over here. Um, he spoke out with Hooper, didn't he? Sorry, yeah, he spoke yeah. out with Hooper, and uh, so he's very like player led. He's very, he's very player led, and I, uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he'll he'll sort of slide into that post rugby um, player welfare and sort of general management kind of stuff. But again, yeah, he he sort of came in and right from the off, he was uh, a very clear voice in our meetings. He he was big on having the coaches run the Monday Tuesday and then basically take a back seat for the rest of the week, so he could drive what he wanted to drive. And um, yeah, I'd probably just say overall just to an amazing leader um, with such a good knowledge of the game. Yeah, just a general, isn't he? So mm. I want to move on to sort of your transition to London Irish, where you're at now. So sort of, it's your second time playing in the UK. How was the transition? Was it easier this time? Or uh, yeah, the first time was easier. Yeah, first time was um, pretty random, but I mean we can talk about that after. But coming back was definitely easier. Um, obviously, quite familiar with the Premiership. Um, I, I know all the teams, which I didn't when I first got here. I know a lot of the players now, which I didn't when I first got here. Um, and it's obviously quite comforting having a fair few Australians that I know quite well in the team. Um, Australians that are coaching always make the transition a bit easier. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely been a lot easier than it was the first time, um, but it still has its challenges. And obviously with everything going on right now, it's it's not very normal. So, yeah. So obviously, when you signed on Norris, you knew it was, it was a short contract. So the, I think it was the end of January, wasn't it? Does that yep. affect the way you approach the game and how you're going to play? No, uh, uh, no from the outset. No, nah, I don't think so. I think um, I think I was really grateful for this opportunity because initially, when I finished up with the Rebels, um, I was meant to have five months off, so I was sort of just going to chill out, do my own training in Sydney, and just just relax. So, um, if you had told me at the start of the year I was going to finish and then end up playing in the Premiership again, like you know, I wouldn't have believed you, but. Um, for whatever reason, an opportunity came up and, um, you know, I was, in, I was on a plane genuinely within seven days. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy, but I don't think it changes the way I wanted to play. I was just so excited to get here. Um, I love I love sort of starting to creep into an older player type role um, as I get a little bit more experienced. And um, having come played here before and now, now coming back again, um, seeing players that were in my position when I first was here, it's really cool to, to be able to work with developing them. Um, and then for me, obviously, just trying to be the best player I can for London Irish is, is really cool. And um, it's been great to get back out there, to be honest. And what's the difference between playing 12 in Australia and England? Like Australia had that sort of like second ball player, sort of like a real get your hands with the ball and distribute kind of style. Would you say, because England has less of a focus on that at the 12, isn't it? Are you trying to adapt more or still have that characteristic? Yeah, I think, um, I think when I was at Gloucester, we probably had more of a focus. I actually played more 13 there, but... Um, in, in general, it was probably more around crash ball, um, gain line. Um, you probably see even photos of me back then. I was about 103 kilos and I'm 92 kilos now. So, um, 
Yeah, I think ball playing, I'm pretty fortunate that at um, London Irish, we actually do have an onus on having two, two ball players. Um, so it fits, fits quite well for me and I haven't had to change too much. So it's come quite naturally. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably say the majority of teams in the premiership um, have got a game line type 12, um, which sort of suits the style of play over here, to be honest, depending on how you want to play. But, um, you know, just looking at the GPS meters from the last four or five games here compared to the Rebel season this year, it's significantly lower um, and less intense. But that's that's not to say the game's less intense. It's just far more physical, a little bit slower. Um, but it probably you can you can operate at a heavier weight um, to allow you to get game line, be a little bit more physical and dominant in that area. So that's probably a couple of things that you can adjust to. But if, if you're comfortable with your weight um, and you can still make your tackles, I suppose, and be dominant, in the um in the physical area then you know i suppose you can get away with it but um yeah as i said lucky that london irish sort of look at two ball players and play both sides of the ball so that's that's been good for me is that like an australian influence thing like you said with the players and the coaches as well yeah i think it probably is um i think i think teams in the prem that have had um sort of influence from australian and kiwi coaches you can get the sense that they like to throw the ball around a little bit more and play a little bit more um, and you can see that influence straight away when you get a coach from the Southern Hemisphere. So um, I suppose that's just the way we're used to playing it um, back home. So when coaches come over, it's only natural to try and try and do the same here. Mm. And you recently had your game against Bath Council, didn't you, due to the virus? What was that sort of like as a player? It must be quite frustrating to sort of hear the news that it has to be cancelled. Yeah, very frustrating. It's, um, you know, I feel like nothing this year can didn't shock us now. It was, it was almost just like, it got announced, um, you know, we came in for training. It obviously got announced that one of the players had tested positive after the game, um, which obviously means that there was a couple of boys in the game that were close contact. So, um, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a rule in the premiership that if you have two or three more close contacts that you have to uh, forfeit from the game, which is, you know, fair enough for safety reasons. But, yeah, as I said, it's just another curveball that 2020 is throwing. It's been a pretty crazy year. Um, you know, I've, I was in lockdown in Melbourne for two months then Sydney for three months back in Melbourne for a month like I think this is my seventh month in lockdown um so I'm just chasing him at the moment but yeah it's yeah, I mean it was obviously very disappointing that was a game that I def definitely penciled in that I was pretty keen for uh, mm -hmm. Bath at the Rec is is uh, always a special game with fans or no fans so to have that one wiped out um yeah is obviously pretty disappointing well you mentioned the Rec so you got your new stadium as well London Irish in um West London what's that like sort of playing there because I guess no one's done it before. Mate, it is so good. It is so good. I've had so many people ask me about it. It's um, it's it's hands down like one of the best stadiums I've ever played in. The, the facilities are world-class. It's obviously Brentford, Brentford Football Club. They, they use it as well. Um, so the deck's obviously like carpet. It's, it's fantastic. The stadium, I'm not sure what the capacity is, but it's probably similar to like a King's home. It's quite small. Um, whereby if, it's, if you fill it out, it's going to be extremely loud. You know, we had one game... There's 2,000 fans there and it was it was rocking. So, um, yeah, it's I feel very lucky to play there. And every time I roll in, I'm just like, oh, this place is this is awesome. So um, I think it's great for the club to be back in London as well. You can see you can see there's a bit of hype starting to build, um, albeit with COVID. But I think rolling into the new year, if we can start allowing fans and you know get the ball rolling with some good performances, there's no reason why it can't become a bit of a fortress. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think sort of, so you mentioned how the stadium is a bit smaller and sort of when it packs out, it's really booming compared to like the Australian stadiums where they're much bigger, but it's harder to pack out. Do you, do you think sort of there's one as a player, do you prefer one over the other or? 
Oh, definitely smaller with with a big oh, yeah. like a bigger feeling crowd. Um, is that a general think, sort of? Is that a commonly thought thing as a player, uh, or is it just? Oh, geez, I don't own? know. I'd like. I probably. I'd like to think so. Like, yeah. Um, those smaller stadiums when they're full, nothing beats it because it's. I mean, this this day and age with rugby at the moment, especially in Australia, unfortunately, it's it's quite hard to pack out a, a stadium um, any bigger than sort of twelve thousand, unless you're playing at test level. So, um, you know. I mean, obviously, all the Super Rugby teams, their stadiums are quite big, um, so it's it's always going to be tough to fill them. And whilst it's still loud, it's quite noticeable that it's not full. Um, so yeah, I, I think playing here, like that's that's one of my favourite things about the Premiership is is the home grounds and the crowds. It's just it's unrivaled anywhere that I've ever been. Hmm. And I guess speaking of like new stadiums and new opportunities, your next one, obviously, to move to LA, the Guiltinis. What brought you over to America and sort of a new team? So. Um, yeah, it's pretty random. I mean, if you if you look at it from the out, it's pretty random. But uh, it's been something that's sort of chipping away in the back um, in the background for a while. And um, yeah, it's an opportunity that came to me probably three or four months ago. And um, I feel like as a rugby player, if you take everything away, if you could go to America and play rugby, it seems like a pretty sweet deal. And it's probably something that everyone, as a professional rugby player, has thought about um, at one point. And now it's starting to, it's, they've starting to really turn the screws in America. Um, we've obviously got a few new, new teams. Um, they're starting to attract a lot bigger, bigger name players. Um, there's a little bit more money involved over there. Their rugby programs are starting to really thrive. And I think it's actually just going to be a really good opportunity. I probably don't think it's where it needs to be right now in terms of the, the level that it's at. But um, give it a couple of years, I've, I've got every uh, belief that it's going to be right up there. So, um, it was probably just an opportunity and the timing um, that I couldn't turn down right now. Um, you know, my partner's going to be able to move out there as well. And it's just one of those things that um, it's just really exciting to be a part of a team from the very start. Um, I've got a few mates going over as well. And, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to actually being super successful, running a, a really tight ship and um, being as professional as we can. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a number of reasons as, as random as it is, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And there's a number of like, yeah, sorry. Right, so obviously there are the likes of Chris Robshaw, yourself, who are now moving out to America. Do you think it has the potential to keep attracting these big names and potentially almost move the centre of rugby away from Europe and Southern Hemisphere towards America? Yeah, no doubt. I think I think it definitely will. I think, as I said, it'll probably take another couple of years um, to start drawing out people that are sort of mid mid age in their career i think right now it's probably appealing to guys that are sort of on the back end um or moving towards the back end um as an option but i think as the rugby develops and it's seen as a premier competition in terms of quality um you'll start to see even better players at a younger age go out there to develop um you know obviously it's going to be a pretty amazing opportunity lifestyle wise but um if you can add the professionalism and in in an awesome level of rugby as well then there's no reason why it won't rival everywhere. So, um, yeah, I've got no doubt it's going to be quite a big opportunity for a lot of players. I think the amount yeah. of money they have to chuck at that program, it's just, it's unrivaled as, as Europe and some hemispheres. That should, if the stats are true, that should suggest that in five years' time, America and rugby in America should just be unparalleled. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a no brainer. And I know as, as much as we, as much as players like to deny it, you know, money talks and there's a lot of money over there. and if, boy, if boys are getting offered, um, you know, double what they are to play here um, and they can go and play in a competition that's just as good, then, you know, they're going to be on a plane as soon as possible. So 
um, yeah, it's exciting times ahead for rugby in America. And as I said, the the youth program and all the academy systems, they're really start trying to start build them up now as well. So it'd be cool to get involved in that side of things. Yeah, I quite like how they sort of have that like American twist where like they got the draft coming in and I guess the academy as well. But I guess another cool thing about moving to the guillotine is, is I guess it's LA itself. It's sort of, firstly, the sun is amazing and sort of the climate and everything, but it's another sporting city, isn't it? So sort of like the Lakers and Clippers and sort of the Rams and so on. Are you excited to just get involved with the sport there as well? Definitely, mate. Like obviously LA was a, a huge draw card for me personally. Um Obviously, the sporting hub. I've been there a couple of times on holiday, but haven't spent too much time there. But obviously, loved it. Um, and I think, I think, um, you know, obviously, I've been involved with a number of meetings now with our coaches and management and a few players as well. And um, you know, there's obviously a yet like a few things yet to be announced around where we're training and um, playing and stuff like that. But it's um, yeah, some exciting announcements to be made. And yeah, we're we're very lucky to be a part of this club because the owner is. Um, definitely backing it the right way and he's really sinking his teeth in and it's going to be one hell of a journey for the boys that are involved and um yeah just for rugby in general in america it's going to be pretty special i think it has been announced that your home stadium will be the coliseum which obviously any american football fan will know it's unparalleled <laughs> do you think that it will have the same effect that they'll manage to pack it out like they do with the la rams to be able to uh yeah i mean it's yeah it's it's huge <laughs> I've, done, I've, I've done some looking but um, initially, obviously, it's going to have to be a snowball sort of thing. It's, um, you know, they're doing everything they can at the moment to get as many people on board. Um, obviously, to get it packed out is is a big target. And that's that's something that the owner is is not shied away from. And I know speaking to our general manager, that, that was his one mission that he got told by the owner, you need to pack this thing out. So um, good luck to him, I suppose. But we'll, we'll just try and win games. And everyone loves a winning team. So I think they got some pretty exciting things lined up around the entertainment side of things, as you can imagine um american style so um yeah it's gonna be pretty interesting and looking forward to seeing how it goes i mean they present themselves as like a fun team don't they like if you look on their instagram like the promotions i mean the coaches look great i mean thinking about like stephen hoyles and so on coming in and the name itself i mean i think sort of as a spectator and as a fan sort of what you want to watch is like a winning side and sort of a fun place to be and i think potentially they've got both yeah and i think um i think it's just that balance between having a good time and working hard. Um, and it's something that's so often got wrong in teams, not not for any particular reason, but um, I think they've got a real opportunity basically as a startup business um, to set the foundations as these are our these are our standards around, right, we're going to have a good time. Um, we're going to get people involved. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be a hell of fun. But you know, one condition is that we have to win. Um, you know, I think once, once everyone's announced in our team, it's going to be pretty evident that they've gone pretty hard. Oh, sorry, Siri's getting involved it's going to be it's it's going to be pretty hard to um you know deny how hard they've gone at getting this team up and running so um yeah i think first and foremost it's about winning and uh we've got some amazing coaches and players that are going to drive a, a high standard and then um obviously right from the name of the team which is you know the name after a cocktail is you know it's mad but it is what it is you know it's pretty cool um and they're just doing things their way and um, you know, if you enjoy that, get on board and, you know, this is the way it's going to be done. So I'm really looking forward to that. And it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun as well. All righty, guys, it's that time again. Time to pay for the pints. Today's podcast has been brought to you by our mates over at Team Blazers. A big shout out to them. The great British Blazers company kidding you out for every match day social. Check them out now. 
So on that like, topic, also balancing fun and sport, I want to make a slight segue and talk about the Barbarians, which you were <laughs> lucky to be a part of. What was that like sort of experience in terms of, I guess, both rugby and also socially? Um, it was, it's, it's got to be the best thing I've ever done in rugby. It's like, it's so hard to, to explain. Like I, I was smiling ear to ear after I got over my hangover. When I got back to Australia, I was smiling ear to ear, like for weeks, telling people about. I could not stop talking about it. Like, um, firstly, we we're really lucky to get on on the tour. There was it was myself and a couple of other Rebels guys because there was obviously internationals at the time, and we were sort of the next tier down. So, um, yeah, to get on that tour was amazing. It was a three week tour: um, England, Brazil, Wales. Like, who gets to go to the Brazil with the Barbarians for a week? Like, it's just insane. Um, but you know, right from the off, you know, it's everything and anything you can imagine, you know, you rock up, you sit in a room, you crack open a beer, you get your kit, which is obviously as a player, like the coolest part about being a player growing up, you know, you get your kit, you're like, far out, I got my Barbar's kit. Um, you know, you get given your money for the week and then you just sit around and enjoy a few beers together and get to know each other. And then you're sitting across the room from like people you grow up watching, um, people you still admire you got a coach over there that's like one of the best in the world and just all this history with the club and then they just have stuff planned every week um minimal minimal rugby stuff there's maybe one or two training sessions a week um maybe one maybe we probably went to the gym twice in three weeks um but just a lot of social stuff and they just do it the right way and i remember when i got back and i was I sort of came to the rebels i was speaking with the coaches and i just said like there's got to be something in this because whilst we did have really good players, we still performed to a level that was basically almost international um, with little to no training based purely on just connections as a group um, and creating an atmosphere where everyone can just express themselves. So um, between myself, Angus and Jonesy, who were there, we sort of sat the coaches down and said, these are the things we did. Obviously it's quite extreme. You can't do this with the super rugby team, but there's no reason why we can't implement some of it um, and drive the social side of things. So I reckon it had a huge effect on our, our rebel season um, and our social side of things. So I just learned so much and it, it sort of takes you back to why you love playing rugby, sitting in the change room, having a beer, having a coffee with the boys and just not worrying about training, um, not worrying about watching your clips from training. What were your GPS meters? What's your body fat at the moment? That kind of stuff, like which all has its place right now in the professional era, but it's just, yeah, it's just peeling everything back to, to why you love the game. And it's, it was such a special experience. Have you any stories from that couple of weeks, the Barbards? Uh, just Rory Best, just being the loosest person I've ever come across. Um, absolute legend. Him Between him and Bastero, just absolutely crushing beers. It was um, a pretty entertaining week, but no, nothing to... Oh, what do we have? I don't know if you know um, Henkes Van Wyk. He's a, he's a hooker, played at the Sunwolves. Um, He's actually going to America now as well. I'm not sure where he's going, but he is as loose as they come. And he was sort of our ringleader and would lead the charge and just for some reason would never get hung over. Anyway, we went out, we got invited to this golf course. Um, There's a few keen golfers, Scott Brits, myself, Dave Havili, um, Hankus, and a few other blokes. We got invited to this to this golf course in Brazil from this guy. I'm trying to, I'm trying to cut the story down, but I've got to explain how the golf course fitted in. This guy... He, he doesn't let anyone play on this course. He, he tried to build, and he's, he's super rich, obviously, he tried to build this course that was top 100 in the world. But to have a top 100 course, you need to have a certain amount of people go through there and play it and rate it. So the only people that have ever played there are people that rate courses. Like, you won't let pros play there. 
he doesn't really let famous people there there, but he just loves rugby. So we sculpt Brits got in touch with him and we managed to to book a tea time. So it's it's on his private property. It's it's in the top one hundred courses in the world. Um and we went we went there and we sort of didn't know what to expect. The, the guy was um the guy that owned it was quite old, but his son was a bit of a larrikin and he he was he got us all on the beers before we teed off. It was like eleven AM tee off, sat down, had brekkie with a few beers. Um, we're all like a bit pissed before we start playing. Um, and then I think it was in a four ball, three ball was myself, Dave Pavili and Hankus. And it was like six holes in, Hankus lights up a cigarette. And we're like, because him and the owner were smoking cigars the whole round. And he lights up a cigarette and then he drives his card off, we tee off, drives his card off, goes for a piss or something and then puts his cigarette out in his tree and then like drives off and we're on the green, we're putting, gets the next tee and we're just sort of looking over and there is like the biggest thing of smoke coming up from this like area and we're just like what is going on and hank is like gets in his gets in his um cart like piss bolts to the tree and he's like waving us over we get over there this tree's like genuinely on fire so he's like going back to the clubhouse got all the staff to come over and they've got hoses putting out this he's almost lit this fucking 100 top 100 course on fire um i've got some amazing videos of it but yeah that was probably probably the loosest thing that happened in terms of almost ruining it a billionaire's golf course. I'm sure you just carried on playing after that. So <laughs> yeah, completed of the 18 holes. <laughs> of course. Well, we actually did. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, no, so that's I want to, so I want to sort of move on and t- sort of talk away from rugby and now talk about sort of like your interests outside. And I know you're sort of interested in this like business entrepreneurship idea, and you got your own apparel company with a bold co. How did that sort of interest start about? Um, yeah, I reckon. So the bold co stuff, um sort of came about i think it was like a year and a half ago now i've always had an interest in fashion i've loved sort of um men's clothing sort of doing things a bit different i suppose and just enjoying that side of stuff away from the field um and then obviously being bald um sort of i sort of had this idea one day where like i obviously wear hats i used to wear hats anyway when i had hair because i just like wearing hats and then i sort of had this idea when i was thinking like when I was bored, I was like, does this person know that I'm bored or they think I'm wearing a hat because I'm bored? Like, how would they know if I'm bored if I'm wearing a hat sort of thing? I don't want people to think I'm wearing it because I'm bored because I don't give a fuck. Um, so I was like, right, I'm just going to make a few hats, put balls on it so they know that I'm bored, but I'm just wearing a hat because I want to wear a hat. And it sort of just started off like that. And I was like, oh, like I got in touch with a few mates that had some businesses as well and I got in touch with the manufacturer. Um, and then we just started making some really basic stuff. Um and then it's sort of just grown from there. It's it's never something that I started to, you know, make up some money or like dive fully into after rugby. It's just something that I've got on the side that um, is, is a bit of fun. I'm learning a lot about um, sort of online business, the do's and don'ts. Um, and, you know, we had some pretty cool ideas around, sorry, one of my mates joined, sort of bought into the business and he's doing the marketing side of things moving forward. But um, we had some cool ideas around doing some stuff for summer, but with COVID, our, our manufacturing, um, place got shut down so we've just found a new one and yeah it's a cool journey like it's something that i'm enjoying um sort of in the men's fashion space and just something ticking me along outside rugby yeah absolutely do you do you have sort of like is this completely like do you have like one brand or something that you're sort of looking think all right that's really cool or is it completely like um do what you want to do no it sort of changes a bit like i i went through a phase a couple of years ago where i actually weird as it sounds enjoyed like really dressing up like wearing suits shirts um you know chinos nice shoes that kind of stuff but 
I sort of just got out of that phase and felt really uncomfortable wearing that kind of stuff and it just didn't really feel like me. So I I sort of, you know, in the last couple of years have turned more to like streetwear and sort of oversize, um, real casual stuff. Um, I think there's a, a, I don't know if you know him, there's a designer called Jerry Lorenzo um, who's an American designer. He's got a label called Fear of God and his stuff is just like the the top shelf of men's fashion in my opinion so like he's he's someone that i follow quite closely um and then just all the vintage stuff like it's obviously pretty hot right now like everyone's sort of jumping on the train and i was probably one of those people to be honest but um yeah that side of things i, I really enjoy the vintage stuff and um sort of exploring like different shirts that were one-offs from whatever year it was and sort of looking into that side of things Absolutely. It's sort of like when you go into like this idea or business when you're only doing it just because you're interested in whatever, it's also because you can, it's like undefined, it's unscripted, you can do whatever you want. You don't have any like pressure or anything. So I think that's really cool. Um, yep. So another thing, so like looking through Instagram is that uh, you're, I guess over lockdown, perhaps that like you got really into like meditation, wasn't it? And sort of breathing techniques and so on. What, how did that sort of start about? Um, yeah, I have like, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been something that I probably never would have started given what this year has been but um matt phillip is a real close good close friend of mine i lived with him for three three years um before the force and the rebels for a couple of years but he's really big into that stuff um the mental side of things and something i actually used to pay him out about when i first lived with him um and then when it all started i started just trying to meditate um five minutes every day just see what it's about and definitely struggled at the start because it's such a weird thing especially for an active person um, and especially just for like men in general who are playing sport, it's to sit down and spend 10 minutes on your own doing absolutely nothing is such a foreign thing to do. But um, it's become something now that I actually, I, I, like I probably wouldn't go a day without it um, unless I was traveling or had something on. So um, yeah, I think I'm on like 220 days almost straight, missed a few in between, but um, it's just been something cool that it's, it's now a time in my morning that no one else can take away from me. I, I just sit somewhere where I can't be disturbed um, and just 10 minutes to just, just chill and breathe. Um, and it's a consistent thing no matter where I am in the world that I can, I can do and just provides me a bit of routine. Do you think it positively impacts your game as well as a rugby player? Do many other rugby players that, you know, sort of in your squads actually go out of their way to meditate and sort of make it part of their routines? I think, I think a lot of players do. Yeah. I've had, um, I don't think it's probably, shown as much actually i don't think anyone really shows it um besides me and that's part of the reason why i do show it is to to sort of show people that it is it is actually quite normal for athletes to do this kind of thing um you know i have boys come up to me weekly saying that like they've, they've been doing it for a while or this is the app they use and this is the ones they've been following and it's probably the number one thing that people get in touch with me about um on social media is sort of that side of things and the routine side of things so it's definitely something people are interested in. I don't know if it's a bit of a taboo subject still, um, but um, for me personally, it's definitely grown my game. Um, you know, it's probably not a tangible thing that I can say it's grown my game for X reason, but in terms of the way I feel um, and the way I approach each week, it's definitely more structured. And um, that morning, 10 minutes definitely sort of drives that side of things. And it puts you in like a mindset where you're thinking, right, I'm going to, I'm dedicated to this thing and I'm going to put minutes into it and hours in the end of the week. But yeah. yeah, well, Billy, thank you very much for jumping on our podcast. I think that's all that we got for today, but really fascinating story hearing about your time where pretty much everywhere, every continent and off to LA next, <laughs> which should be absolutely awesome. And we'll for sure follow yeah, you good. there. Thank you very much. 
Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you. That was Thanks, boys. Really interesting. I'm actually off to the US myself. Hopefully, and Playbill oh, yeah. will be there. But off to university, so. Oh, sick. Where do you boys live? I'm in London at the moment, but yeah. I'm just near Oxford, so just outside. Nice. Lockdown life, eh? How's it going? Bored. Yeah, it's not great, is it? Shit, eh? And tier four just going everywhere sort of ruins it. Yeah. I know, but the cases are just insane. Like like Sydney, Sydney at the moment, I was speaking to my missus before, and they're like, have like 20 cases a day and they're locked down. And we've got like 40,000 or something. Um, yeah. Like it's just insane. It's the way to do it though, isn't it? Just kind of get rid of it at the start. Oh, yeah. And you'll, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, that, yeah as a str- people who are living in Australia already know. Yeah, yeah. it's fucked. Well, well, thank you very much. Hopefully. Thanks, boys. I'll come support you in LA one day. That'll be awesome. Yeah, hit me up. Let's do another one when I get there. It'll be, it'll be cool to yeah, hear yeah. about it. Like some pretty cool things going on. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, yeah. boys. Have a good one. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.